Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning, and we are glad that you are here with us. Our lesson for this morning continues a series that we began a few weeks ago on overcoming life's challenges and facing some of the challenges that we do and making sure that we overcome. Um, I have uh, given you opportunity too to suggest some, some things and I asked some friends if they had any suggestions for some good sermons and this is one of them that was suggested. It was one that I had thought about but I, I didn't really, I wasn't going to pursue it uh, but a friend suggested it and after thinking about it I thought well you know, maybe it will help us. The sermon for this morning is Overcoming Depression. Overcoming Depression. I gotta move this pulpit up. It's wobbly. Somebody's moved it. There. That's a little bit better. <laughs> but anyway, overcoming depression. Um, last year we had a class in the school of preaching on depression. And I looked forward to, to that class because even though personal, personally I had not um, dealt with depression, uh, it wasn't something that, that really was uh, something that I had dealt with just on an individual basis. But it was a, a class that helped me to understand the way that others feel and some of the things that others have dealt with. And so I hope that if nothing else that this lesson helps you maybe to understand uh, the way that other people are feeling. The, way, the, the difficulties that they are going through and maybe how to deal with them. Um, and maybe it is that, that you are depressed or discouraged in some way. And maybe in that respect, this lesson will help you also. First of all, as we look at, at Christianity, I think it would be very easy for us to be tempted to think that, that maybe Christians aren't supposed to be depressed. We're supposed to be happy people, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, we, we know that Christ died for our sins. That should make us happy. We should rejoice in that. We sing songs about happiness. Heavenly sunlight. Sing and be happy. I'm happy today. Christians are supposed to be happy people. And I think we have that idea even when we go out into the world that, that, that most Christians are very happy people. But is it possible for Christians to become depressed? Is it possible for Christians to become depressed? Yes, it is possible. And it's something that, that they have to deal with. Is it a sin for a Christian to be depressed? And that one we have to be a little more careful with. Now, uh, as we deal with depression, as we deal with, with feelings of anxiety and, and discouragement and, and things of that nature, it, it depends on how that depression is handled because uh, whether or not one remains faithful when facing depression, that makes a big difference. Um, if someone remains faithful while they're going through these feelings, then... There's, there's no sin involved there. Temptation maybe, but not sin itself. 
And it depends on whether or not one allows himself or herself to commit sin while dealing with various difficulties. Now, uh, they can lead us away from God. They can tempt us to stray away from God. But as long as we remain faithful, we're handling depression in the right way. It's not a sin for a Christian to be depressed. It's about dealing with that depression. And we also have to ask this question too. What kind of depression are we talking about? There are two types of depression. One is clinical depression. And it requires medical attention and often medication in order to deal with it. It is real. And it is treatable. But it is not the subject of our lesson. I'm not a doctor. And I've never really even dealt with depression personally. I've heard from a teacher that did deal with it. And is dealing with it. And is doing so in a, a biblical way. And, and that was what he shared with us. But again, as he said, he wasn't a doctor either. But some of the thoughts that I have for today are, are his, his, not mine. But it is a real thing. And it's not something for us to just play, play it out as, as well. You know, we, we have a tendency to give advice, right? When someone comes to us and asks us about dealing with something, or, or if we know that someone is dealing with something, we have a tendency to offer advice. And sometimes the advice that we offer, it may be well-meaning, but it can also turn into something different. It can also be put in such a way that, that is more of a discouragement than, than helpful. So I have to be very careful how we deal with that. But again, clinical depression, that's not what we're talking about today because that's a different matter entirely. Now, I know I, for one, am not qualified to, to really address clinical depression. But some depression is fueled by certain life experiences making it a challenge for Christians. Exhaustion. Sin. Loss. These things can lead us into depression. This type of depression can be overcome when we set our minds on heavenly things and God. But these things can only be overcome with the help of God. Our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to recognize those who suffered from depression in Scripture. We're going to look at several examples uh, of those that, that were depressed in some way or another and how they overcame their depression, learning a lesson from them. And to learn how to overcome depression in our own lives by looking to God and His Word. You know, many, many things can be dealt with just by simply looking at the Word of God. And I think you'll find that, that we can find some answers to some of the things that bring us to spiritual depression, as I'll refer to it. We begin with suffering from exhaustion. Suffering from exhaustion. In much the same way that our physical bodies can become exhausted, so can our spirit within us. 
It is possible for us to become weary in our spiritual service to God. Maybe we do a lot for the church or for the kingdom. And, and you know, the, the more we do, sometimes it, it does take a toll. Not just on us physically, as far as our, our physical bodies are concerned. You know, a lot of times we do get tired, don't we? Maybe from work. Maybe from activities that we do. Sometimes it's just having two or three days of going, going, going. And it takes just that much to bring you down. I have a tendency ever so often to uh, do that. I may go two or three days. Just keep on going. From one job to the next. Continue doing. And then by the time Sunday rolls around, I've got to call Kirk to fill in for me. Because I have one of these 24-hour things is what it usually breaks down to. I may feel deathly sick for about a day. And then it goes away and I'm fine. But it's just running the body down and it's something that I have to be careful of. And much the same way that we can run our physical bodies down, well so we can do with our spiritual being as well. Sometimes we just get going and we, we, we become exhausted from working so hard and so long. Elijah is a good example of spiritual exhaustion. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read of Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel and the ending of the drought that he had proclaimed by the word of the Lord to King Ahab. And following this triumphant victory over the prophets of Baal, Elijah became both physically and spiritually exhausted. You know, we think of the, the great high. He had won the battle of his life against the prophets of Baal. But he comes away from that and in the very next chapter we find him exhausted. 1 Kings chapter 19 beginning with verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. What had brought Elijah to this point? In chapter 18, he was on fire, almost literally. We look at, at, at God and how He had used him to overcome the prophets of Baal. And then he comes away from that in chapter 19. He gets this threat from Jezebel. I'm going to make your life just like the life of those prophets. And he runs. What else is there for him to do? He runs. And he says, Lord, just take my life. It's not even worth me living anymore. 
In verse 5, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mount of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He believed that he was the only one left that was still serving God faithfully. And understandably so. Look at how far the children of Israel had, had come away from serving God. But Elijah was encouraged by God and reminded that he was not alone. In 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse 13, So it was that Elijah wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God understood Elijah's feelings and emotions, and he speaks to them. What servant of God facing the same difficulties as Elijah, wouldn't become exhausted. He was spiritually spent. Some have said that, that because of the, the spiritual high that he had experienced in defeating the prophets of Baal, that it left him only to, to come down very hard. And he did. The experience of Elijah has, has been compared to, to even Christianity. Think of some of the spiritual highs that you've experienced. Maybe it's a, attending a lectureship or as teenagers a camp. And you, you, you do get this spiritual high from being around Christians and from hearing messages from the Word and, and you are spiritually uplifted and you come away from those and you have to come back into the world. And maybe it's discouraging to, to come back to the local congregation. Maybe it's discouraging in some ways to, to 
face some of the worldly problems that we face in our jobs and, and in our schools and things of that nature. You, you go from the spiritual high to, to a spiritual letdown in some ways. And this is in and of itself. It can cause spiritual depression. We look at Paul. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. In verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not, do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Paul went from, well, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles since you're not going to listen. And where, what did he do? He stayed there a year and six months. God told him, keep preaching. Do not be afraid. Do not keep silent. Paul describes some of his sufferings in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning with verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we, we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. They had been burdened so much. And they could do nothing but trust in God to deliver them. Serving God isn't easy, and it never was promised to be easy. We may be persecuted, wrongly judged, disowned by family and friends, and the list could go on. All of these things bringing about discouragement. We may become exhausted from the cares and troubles of life, just facing some of the things that we face on a daily basis, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, and, and continuing on. These things can burden us to the point of exhaustion. When we become discouraged, it is good for us to remember God's promise of His ever-presence and help in time of need. In reference to humble submission to elders, leaders of the church, it is said in, in what we use as our scripture reading, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him. 
for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to, the, to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. If you feel spiritually exhausted, you are not alone. Because you have brothers and sisters that are facing the very same thing, even today. There are many things that can lead to spiritual exhaustion, but we can overcome them. It, it may lead us to vulnerability. We can overcome it. We have God's encouragement with us all the way. But there are other ways that, that we may suffer, not just from spiritual exhaustion, but some may be suffering from sin. Realizing that we have sinned against God can leave us vulnerable to depression. Sin discourages us and, and tries our conscience. And until we understand God's forgiveness and do what is necessary to obtain it, we may be steeped in the depression of sin. Peter. Peter is a good example of this. Turn to John 18. Let's begin reading at verse 15. John 18, verses 15 through 27. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Let's get to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what had been foretold by Jesus. That he would deny him three times. And he did. Peter following his denial of Jesus was left to bear the shame and guilt of what he had done. But it wasn't the end of the story for Peter, was it? John 21, verse 15. John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
I believe that there's significance in the fact that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Three times Peter had denied him. And three times Peter affirmed that he loved Jesus. He was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter was asked three times, do you love me? And three times told to feed, nourish, and care for the sheep. Peter found forgiveness for his denial from the one he had denied and was encouraged to continue in God's service. Instead of continuing in, in grief over sin, Peter was told, follow me. And he did. See, sin can have its hold on us if we allow it to, but God tells us that we can overcome it. Look at what Cain was told in Genesis chapter 4 and beginning with verse 3. Genesis 4 and verse 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now notice what is said in verses 6 and 7. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. But you should rule over it. Cain gave in to sin. And it's shortly after that we read that he kills his brother Abel. But God told him, you should rule over it. Over his anger, over the, the, the temptation to sin, he should rule over it. But he didn't. You see, grief over sin can lead us in different directions. Look at Judas. Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus. Judas could have made the decision to repent and return to serving God. But he chose instead to take his own life. Peter, on the other hand, he denied Jesus which could probably be considered just as bad as what Judas had done. But Peter found redemption and forgiveness. And he continued serving God. And he was faithful for the rest of his life. In addition from suffering from exhaustion, 
and sin. Maybe suffering from loss. Maybe different kinds of loss. Loss of a loved one. Close friend or a family member. Maybe it's the loss of a job or financial security. Maybe it's the loss of a, a home or other material possessions. We, we read and hear in the news almost every day of, of a fire that has burned a, a house or an apartment complex, a, a place where, where someone lived. Maybe we have some other natural disaster, maybe a tornado or earthquake or hurricane. People are affected by those things throughout the world. Maybe it's the loss of physical health that's a discouragement. I think all of us have, are dealing with that in some way or have dealt with it from a personal standpoint. If not from self, but from, from friends, family, loved ones. Though Satan wants to use our sorrow over such losses to tempt us to turn away from God, we as Christians can overcome them. Look at Job. Job lost everything, but he refused to renounce his faith in Almighty God. In Job 1, Job 1, beginning with verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. But while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people. And they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Sounds like something out of a story, doesn't it? In verse 20, Then Job rose, arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He lost everything. But he worshipped. He said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not sin. Loss is difficult to overcome, but not impossible. You see, our, our treasure is not found in the things of this world. This is not our home may seem like our home, but it's not. This world is not my home. And our heart is not to be set on the things of the world, but things above. Things that are eternal. Things that will never perish, according to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. 
And even when losing a loved one, it helps us to know that their soul is in the hands of God and that we will see them again. We do know those that, that pass away that are not faithful to God. And those are, are, are more difficult to lose, aren't they? You know, for, for those that are faithful Christians, we can take joy in knowing that, that it's not the last time that we see them. It's not goodbye. See you later. As Christians, we should continue to trust in God's love and care for us always, no matter what we may lose. In regard to material possessions, in Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34, Jesus says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Even in losses such as Job's, we can remember that God is in control. That God is in control. Some may be dealing with depression beyond the help of such a lesson as this. And I would certainly encourage you if, if you feel that you're in need of, of professional help, seek it. If you need help finding someone, I, I'm not a licensed counselor, but I, I know people that I can refer you to. But if that's your need, if, if you need to talk to a doctor or, or someone like that, I would encourage you to do so. And for those of us that are trying to help, again, sometimes we may mean well, but sometimes we may say the wrong things. We need to be very, very careful how we answer someone who may be dealing with depression, even just spiritual depression. Never assume that someone's depression will go away by giving a biblical answer. Now, just because we may give them a verse or two or something to look at, that doesn't mean that that's exactly what they need to hear. And don't expect that, that it, it will just go away because sometimes it won't. When it comes to dealing with those who have depression, expect the unexpected because many deal with depression in different ways. And not everyone can just let go and let God. And that's something that, that, that we may have given advice for, something that we hear often. But sometimes it's not as simple as just letting go. Sometimes it's very hard to do. So maybe that's not the answer for whatever someone is going through. Never assume that because you have been through similar difficulties that someone can overcome them in the exact same way that you did. Because again, just like grief, everyone deals with it in a different way. Everyone handles depression differently. So we have to keep those things in mind. If you need help dealing with spiritual depression, don't be afraid to ask for it. 
Ask me, ask Brother Kirk, ask Brother Hugh, ask any one of us. We are your brothers and sisters and we want to help you. We love you. We care for you. If your depression is caused by sin, and we are glad to help you deal with it today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and beginning with verse 9, 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from, uh, from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. What Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 7 is that they had been led to godly repentance, which wasn't just feeling sorry for sin. You see, that's not enough. We can feel sorry for our sin. Judas felt sorry for his sin. But what did he do with that? He went and killed himself. He knew that he had done wrong. But instead of repenting, he dealt with it in a different way. The wrong way. But we can deal with sin in a godly manner in that we can, it can lead us to repentance. It can lead us to, to salvation if that's our need. True sorrow over sin should lead us to repentance and to salvation. So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, I know I've talked to people that have said that that they feel like they have sinned too much to obey the gospel. That they need to somehow uh, make amends for that before they can obey the gospel. But let your sorrow over sin lead you to repentance. Confession of your faith in Christ. Baptism for the remission of your sins. And if you've already done that, then make sure that you're a faithful child of God. Make sure that you've not erred from the way, from the truth. And if you have, if you need prayer on your behalf, if there's some way that we can help you today, then we stand ready to do so. We stand ready to assist you if you'll come as we stand and as we sing. Christ, your broken life, soul.